Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, what a morning. Be here with us. Send your spirit into us and bless us as we hear something from your word today. I ask, Lord, that each person here would receive something from the message that they've heard today many times over. Nevertheless, we all need strength and encouragement from you in these days, Lord. Amen. Pastors sometimes get criticized for preaching impractical-type sermons. You know, we're accused of preaching about things that are, are too much in the abstract, or we talk too much about things that'll happen after we die. We're sometimes told that we spend too much time preaching about doctrine and not enough time preaching about what people really need, such as, you know, how to be a better parent or how to be a better manager of money, or what does God really want me to do, Uh, things like that. We pastors are told if we're to remain relevant to people, then we we must address things that people are going through on a day-to-day basis. We don't need to hear old stuff. We need new stuff. We need to preach something more real. So let's be real. Every living person must come to grips with the reality that our lives are temporary this side of heaven. And we're, we're all on the clock. None of us knows when our lives will end. Although my dad tried to pull, me, pull one over on me about this subject when I was 17. The first compact disc players had just come out, and my dad told me that if, if you open the disc tray and stick your finger in the machine... The counter on the display will count down the number of hours you have left in your life. I wasn't buying that. These young people here, they, they've never even had a compact disc player. Like, they skipped over that technology. But in the real world, our time of death is unknown. We know that. Most of us, it seems, are dying to live, though. And what I mean by that is that we occupy our time with things which simulate life. You know, I mean, pastors have probably been getting up in this pulpit for generations and, and talking about all the ills of the, of the society and all the, all the things that we try to fill the voids in our life with. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a generic common malady that all of us pastors are taught to even talk about at the seminary, right? What do we fill our lives with? You know, alcohol, drugs, pornography, all this stuff, or trying to, you know, relationships, uh, we're all trying to fill the holes with this stuff, but I've been over that a million times with you too. But how about things which simulate life? And I'm not talking about this so much as a malady, you know, like the sinful problem in our life. It's, it, it, it can be a problem for some people, but I mean, it's more of like of a, a distraction, and that is It's 2024 now, and I think we're well into the time when most people have grown up with a television set in their home. You know, a device you can spend hours watching other people doing real things, even if they're acting, but you're not doing those things. Or how about listening to music at home or through a portable device? You know, a simulated concert. You know, there was a time before any, before any of us were born when if you wanted to hear music, you had to go out and find people who were actually 
performing it with instruments or singing. You know, these are diversions and a whole host of other things. It fills in time. After all, we need television, don't we? <laughs> and we need books to read. And we need music and videos to relax, video games to relax after we do all that work during the day, don't we? Because we can't be working and doing something real and important 12 hours or more every day, can we? People used to do that, and they died before they reached 60. These things, and much more that we do, help us forget that we're always moving towards an end. I occupy my time with all kinds of stuff where I could be doing something real, you know. But there is something real which can't be found in a recording or a broadcast or a simulation. It's flesh and blood, bread and wine, wood, water, and dirt, and life and death. It's truth. Not simulations or half-truths, but real truth. To get the real truth, we must listen to God's word in the scriptures, in our Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord concerning your life today. Our Lord and Savior Jesus knew you were going to need something to hold on to in this life that he gave you. Things which would sustain your faith and trust in him. Tangible things you could look for, reassurance and truth. He knew all this beforehand, and, and he's given you these things. He knew that the world would kick the stuffing out of you. The devil and his followers are not, they're not partying it up in hell. They're invisibly roaming about this earth, looking for people to devour because they hate us, and they hate God for creating us. They're looking for your family and your friends to devour you and I have been afflicted by them before, and we will be afflicted by them until the resurrection of all people happens on the last day. It's just the way it is. So to see you through this, Jesus has given you some real truth to hang on to. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what Paul says. He directs us and the whole church on earth to something we can hold on to. He says we are connected to Jesus. He has connected us to him, or I should say himself, in our baptism. We have been washed with real water, that is connected to a promise that's true. Notice in baptism we don't use simulated water or just say that there's water, like some of the other things that we do in worship, like when we sing hymns that say we raise our hands or we bow and kneel, and we don't do those things. But in baptism, we do use real water. The old you died the moment you were baptized and a new person was born. This really happened. And there were people there who witnessed it. Real water combined with God's true word changed your entire future. When he died, you died. When he rose from death, so did you. His resurrection is yours. 
Now, when you feel uncertain about who you are or what value you are to anyone or what to put your hope in, you can look to that moment when Jesus joined himself to you with water and his promise of rescue from hell. And here's how practical all this is. Paul says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul connects Christ's death and resurrection and your baptism. Your baptism. Not someone else's. Not mine, but yours. You are connected to the cross. Jesus' real flesh and blood were nailed with real nails to real wood, and he experienced a real death. He really paid for your sin with his life. And when he walked out of his tomb, he rose to live forever, and you do too. That's what Paul was urging Christians in Rome to hang on to. And the same goes for us. Life was tough for them, and it's tough for us. I don't know all the comparisons, and if we were to compare our lives with theirs, we might say, well, we've got it pretty good compared to them. But we live in our time with our own set of problems. And we still have the same diseases they had, the same violence on an individual level, and a few other things which don't change much over time among humans. That's why God connected heavenly things to earthly things for you, so that you have something to hold on to. He gave you the church, the worship, so you can see that you're not alone. The house is full of broken but restored beloved children of God, and we confess our sin and hear that we're not alone. We see an altar, a fountain, a lectern, a pulpit. These are God's means of, for bringing to you his gifts to sustain you and give you something real to hold on to. You hear the absolution from the pastor. God wants you to hear that you really are forgiven. It's not an abstract thing. It's not, it's not a concept. It's a reality. In the words of the hymns, the readings, you know, the message, you hear you are a sinner, but you are forgiven and saved, not by your own doing, but by God's grace alone. Long ago, before Lutherans were Lutherans, the church even had a smell to it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't because people didn't bathe. <laughs> it wasn't, and it wasn't the Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox churches that used incense in worship either. It was the early Christian church because the Jews had used incense in the temple. And God had used it in the tabernacle. The church was a place that even smelled different than the rest of the world. And some Lutheran churches have tried to bring the incense back into worship, but with very, very limited success. Too many people complain, it hurts my eyes, it burns my nose. I won't come to church if they use that stuff. 
The church today struggles to create an environment which reminds us things are going to be very different in the new heavens and the new earth. It seems many people want what they have out there in here, but that's for another day. If the Word of God can't create a different state of mind in people, then trappings in the sanctuary aren't going to do much better. And we have the Lord's Supper, which is certainly not a trapping of the church. It's not just a ritual or churchy thing that we do for show. God joins his real body and real blood to real bread and wine for real people to consume and get real life and get real forgiveness and real strength. I hope that's real enough for you. So even without incense, seeing, hearing, eating, drinking, tasting, it seems God has given us a lot of very real things to hang on to in this Christian life. The Christian life this side of the last day is not a perfect one. We will at times be people of little faith. And we will suffer. Sin on earth, both ours and that of others, has made our lives the way they are. But the Christian life is more importantly a life of assurance, guarantee, and hope in things which are true. So as you return to the world this morning outside this sanctuary environment, remember your baptism. And remember, Jesus himself has given you the mercy he won for you at the cross. What's his is yours. You are the heir of his kingdom. If that remains for you just an abstract thing, I don't know. At any rate, who says preaching Christian doctrine isn't practical? I'd be happy to point them otherwise. May the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, yet remains very real and practical. Keep your hearts and minds holding on to Christ. Amen.